Well, it's been a long time since we've done an Untitled Film Project podcast. Three weeks, I believe. Yeah. 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 That's it? So it feels like longer. <laughs> I, I feel like um, you know maybe two out of three of us have been around and ready to do things, but somebody's been out a cruise. Sorry, <laughs> living my best life, you guys. Yeah, and if you do remember, I invited you both to go with me. I booked it for you. <laughs> That's not going with me. And you didn't offer to pay, so I was out. That's a, that's a nice hat, Gover. Thank you. It's a really nice hat. I actually <laughs> wanted to cover this up with an untitled patch and walk oh, around the ship nice. with it. That would have reduced like the value of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Untitled Film Project Podcast. Uh, watch the movie, then come listen. So uh, we are Justin Bradford, Jeremy Gover, and Jim Chandler. Uh, Bradford, Gover, and Jim. I just do that so that some people say, you all have J names. It's hard to keep you straight. That's true. Uh, we are going to talk today about Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. He teams up once again with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro to tell a 1920s True crime thriller of oil, money, and murder of the Osage, Osage nation. Osage, Osage yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Is Gover going to leave those sunglasses on the whole time? God, I hope not. Oh, I can see his eyes again. There we go. I can see yeah. the judgment. <laughs> Osage are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmart everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. There was so much evil in this movie. Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's get some initial takes. Let's start. Bradford. No, okay. (laughs) Do you you want to remain angry through a lot of a film? (laughs) Angry? What? I can actually answer that for you. Yeah? I think you don't want to. But I think it's a testament to the movie. Yes, yes, totally, totally. Yes. So it was a rhetorical yeah. question, but you raised your hand. Oh, sorry, and, I thought well, you were really asking. As someone that we're out ma- of sorts, you're married. To, you're weeks. married to a teacher, so I figured you raise your hand. You wanted to speak. I'd like to go to the bathroom, please. So get the hall pass. So, and that means Martin Scorsese did a did a wonderful job because yeah. I was angry through most of this film. Mm-hmm. It, it, I wanted to reach into the film and like chokehold multiple characters throughout it. Whether it was Robert De Niro's character, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, more Leonardo DiCaprio's character wanted to slap some freaking sense into him more than anything else. Robert De Niro talk about playing a villain very well. Mm. Uh, it was a very long film. Extremely long film. Although, it didn't feel like it. And that's another testament to the filmmakers as well. Sure. Putting this together that you have a three and a half hour runtime film felt more like two fifty five. Cutting but, them some grace there. But yeah. because it is a true crime thriller type of film, I was not necessarily on the edge of my seat, but I was I was in it. It kept me in because I wanted to know because of that true story behind it as well that there's a true events that happened is which is why the anger creeped up so much more because I'm knowing this happened these people were taken advantage of these people were murdered because of this and then you had these white folks saying oh no, no we we respect you we trust you I'm your friend like right. oh my gosh the anger that I was feeling throughout this as well just again testament to the film creators themselves and making this come true and then the cameos throughout which we'll get to well there are I'm plenty. sure there are plenty of it as well I, overall enjoy is not 
the right word, I think, for it. I appreciated what this film showed me because so much of our history in America has not been shown or taught that this yes. brought to life. And I know it's a book and plenty of people have read the book. I have not. So I know lots of people that have read the book are very interested and curious about this film. I appreciated every aspect of this film so much that now I've learned a lot more about our history because of what was referenced through the film, but also the true events that it depicted in it. Very good. All right. Uh, Gover, what's your initial impression of Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, uh, I'm going to agree with Bradford a lot, but I want to use my platform here on the initial takes to talk about how I initially thought the overt respect for the Osage people and Native Americans in general at the beginning of the film was a little too PC heavy for me. It was like, oh, we have to say this, so it's going to be... That, that's, mm-hmm. how I, that's how I took it. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, here then we Then there go. was a reason. Right. And <laughs> But then the deeper I got into the film, I realized that it actually proved to me that it had to happen. Because right. I'm a middle-aged white guy who grew, grew up in the suburbs his whole life. I grew up in the suburbs as a kid. I live in the suburbs now, right? So my point of saying all that is I'm very sympathetic. I like to think I am to other people's plight once I know it, okay? But sometimes it's a little much PC-wise, right? Yep. But in this particular case, and again, it didn't affect my, like, but just it set it off on a weird foot. I was yeah. like, oh, they're already apologizing. They're pre-apologizing for sure. whatever they're going to write. <clears throat> but then I realized, again, throughout the film, the deeper we got into it, that even I was like, is this appropriate? Yeah. But I realized because of that disclaimer, I didn't have to worry about it. It removed a barrier an hour and a half after it ran for me. And the less yeah. time you get reminded that you're in a movie, obviously the better it is, right? We've talked about that several times. Sure. So the fact that a barrier was removed by a disclaimer at the beginning was a master stroke by Scorsese because not only does it appeal to and protect and whatever you want to say, the people that would already be you know sensitive to that, Right? Yes. It also removes barriers for those of us who stumble upon. Quite, is this allowed? Like are, in 2023, are we allowed? Are they allowed to depict Native Americans like that? <laughs> right. And the answer is yes, because yeah. they had to go to the Osage people, get their approval. They worked for them really close in the film. They screened it for them when it was finished. I mean, everything was, is clearly approved. Yeah. Therefore, I don't have to worry about it. That's my initial take on Killers of the Flower Moon. It broke a barrier to allow you to accept yes. what was being told. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> this is Jim. And I, I think that, uh, you know, when I initially was going into the movie and I see that, okay, it's a uh, Scorsese, Robert De Niro is going to be in it, obviously. I mean, Scorsese, he's, he's known for his, his mob movies and his, you know, the underworld crime syndicate kind of films. And I thought, okay, well, how's this going to work? In the 1920s, and all of a sudden, you know, instead of, you know, the gritty streets of New York, we've got these these sprawling cinematic vistas of, you know, the heartland of America, you know, and, and I'm thinking, well, this is kind of refreshing. And then, uh, then I'm learning a story that I've never been told. And then I absolutely was enraptured with how... These amazing people that were so smart still weren't capable of overcoming the evil that came to them when they got rich with oil money. 
and that the it's almost like there's a there's a group of people that are so good at getting the money away from another group of people that no matter how smart you are no matter how careful you are this movie just showed no they're so evil there's nothing you can do and when i that's why i was mad and angry during this film but only because it was justifiable mm-hmm. and i'm thinking it did all this really happen? Yes, it really did happen. Why didn't I know? I'm like a secondary thing. Why did I not know about this part of our history? Uh, and, you know, it's because it's selective history. You know, we, we don't know every story. And sometimes, I mean, this is a big subject these days. If it makes us uncomfortable, we tend to shy away from it. Uh, and I was so glad I saw this. I thought it was pretty incredible. All right, let's get into the, uh, you know, the meat of Killers of the Flower Moon, an extremely long film that is, uh, you know, in theaters and is going to be coming to streaming. It's an Apple TV, you know, pr- production, uh, giving it a theatrical release before it gets the streaming. Um, this movie is uh, obviously got an A-list cast. Let's talk about some of the performances. All right, so we're going to go ahead and throw it out. Just with this overall discussion point, how many acting-based award nominations do you think will come from this film? Two. Which ones? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and... Lily Gladstone? It's got to be Lily Gladstone, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I I would say those are probably pretty likely. I'm going to throw in a third, and uh, here's where where it's going to be interesting. It's Robert De Niro, but... Lead you know, or best? I, I, yeah, that's I mean, that's the question. Yeah. I, between he and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, I really think that uh, you could make a case for lead or supporting actor for either one of those. Because mm-hmm. um, no, 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 I think Leonardo is the is the lead for sure. You think he's the? Uh, yeah, he's he a little more central. Lead, but in the way that awards look at it. Could they both be considered? Well, it's whatever they want to campaign. Whatever the movie right. theater, it, movie the theater. studio, yeah, Their studio. Thank you. Wants, yeah. to, wants to, you know, campaign him as right. I, so I would campaign for Robert De Niro. I think it is one of his finest performances that I've seen in years. And this is a great guy. I mean, he's. I mean, the guy just does not produce garbage ever. Um, from com- I come from comedy to serious, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and his portrayal of a special kind of evil of uh, the betrayal that he was able to pull off with his performance because uh, not only is he is he acting in the movie he's acting in front of the tribe who considers him their their uncle their mentor Mm. the man of the city that only wants the best for their interests and he is the very the the he's the point of the bullet that's going straight through that nation. And he looks like he's their best friend. He's so, in, he's, he has, he's hiding behind a curtain. I mean, he's even yeah. going to the tribal meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And invited and, and having a say, I mean, that's not right. usual either for you to even be able to speak. Right. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a scene, right. Where they're having the big council about how the white man's come in. They've kind of had enough. Incredible right scene. Now. Yeah. And they're like, they're, the white man's this, white man's that. We're coming to get our money. And then they defer to him, a white yeah. man. What do we do? To th- Yeah, to then go, like, stand up for them or, or you know, right. be the liaison to whatever. Right? And so it, it, it really in that moment is when I 
realize that how how much they accept him yes. as one of their own. Unfortunately, but right. But I'm saying, yeah. but until that part of the movie, I was always like, he's different. He's not even. Yeah. But then it was like, oh, they they truly do see him as one of their own. He's done enough to convince yes. them that he is their best ally, right? And then it, it, you know, to segue right into Leonardo DiCaprio, who, I mean, does an amazing job of this conflicted and very complicated person who I think at some level he loves his wife. He does. Oh, I think he does. He, he does. loves greed more. Uh, can maybe. I, can I jump in real yeah. quick? I start to derail your train there. Does he? But I think that money and greed is his addiction. So we see that in a uh, lot of, like, real life. We'll see, like, mm-hmm. you know, people like uh, 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 17-year-old crack baby mamas, for just, right. just to pick a example okay they love their child but they'll leave them home for three four hours at a time by themselves when they're six seven eight months old because they have to go score that next hit uh yeah so i think that's that's what it is i think he does love his family for sure and he is there what 70 percent of the time he's probably you know he's we see him taking care of her all the time in really bad shape in good shape or taking the, care of her right even, um, even though he regrets what he's doing <laughs> right but he's still like holding her like he's still yeah. being patient and caressing he's still right. you know but there's still the i love money i'm gonna go I, do this i, I need to get this gover. done so i'm gonna say he loves his wife but he's addicted to the greed i agree with gover and even to add to that it's good he fears his uncle there's a fear. There, as there, it yeah. goes into, sure. there's a fear of respect and fear yes. of if I turn my back on him, what will happen to me? Because I was right. welcomed in by my uncle to come live here yes. as well. Yeah. Greed over the overarching part. And right. then you have that uncle part and then the love part. Too. Right. Sure. I mean, he's seen what happens to people that get in the way of the plot right. of getting the, the their money. He's called King for a reason. That's his nickname. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and he's, you know, he's taken part in offing some of the people that get in the way. So, yeah, if anybody knows, you know, uh, what, you know, King is capable of, it's going to be Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest. So let's, I think the more important, aside from the two males, Lily Gladstone, her performance, just in terms of how we see the degeneration of her health and how she's able to, act through that portrayal of just continuing to lose her strength, losing her focus, losing her mind, losing her family, mm-hmm. losing everything. Just an incredible, incredible screen performance from Lily Gladstone and her portrayal. I'll give you one more. Yeah. I bought in from the moment they were at dinner when she invited him in for dinner mm-hmm. because she said like what? 10, 12 words that entire scene. Mm-hmm. But you could see her trying to figure out if he's a like just a stereotypical white man trying to get in on right. my money, is he a gold digger? Or if he really is, good, thank you, gold, gold digger. Or is he really? Does he really care about me? Is he really this guy that I really do am attracted to? Uh-huh. You can see it in her face, and that is extreme. It's it reminds, and I'm not comparing the two, but I kind of am. Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer, how you can see it without words, how he's the he's wheels dissect, are turning, wheels are turning. With her, you can see it, and it's not overacted. And it's not underplayed. It's absolutely perfect and flawless. I will tell you right now, just like I did Tusu Beidou last year, this is my best actress winner. 
she's it right would be up there. extremely hard to knock her off. It was that good. Boy, the timing of the release of this as well. I mean, it's right in there, perfect timing. On for purpose. Yeah. Season, on absolute purpose. Because there's going to be a yeah. huge push for so many, so yes. many awards. Not just like Hell the Hell Purple's coming thing. out still. Right. Yeah. There's right. So many potential possibilities for sure. with this film. Yeah. And, and what Lily Gladstone did, uh, I think, is far harder than uh, somebody who has done something great with a piece of dialogue that's been written for them. Okay, so she is she's acting without saying much. And there's a, like an old uh, uh, saying uh, in in just plain preaching, you know, which is like you know, preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. Okay, <laughs> that's right. And and I think this is it can be a compli- applied here. You know, act well, and if necessary, use words. She didn't need a whole lot of words to turn in one of the best performances of this year. The initial trailers we got of this, the music behind it and how they're doing quick flashes of scenes from this movie, and it was a mesh-up of what we heard in the beginning of the film, music-wise, but also with a hard-driven beat. To where it drew the attention of the viewer because there wasn't necessarily much media folk marketing focus behind the film. Yep. They're depending on people being interested in word of mouth. That is Martin Scorsese's Leonardo DiCaprio's Robert De Niro's. All it, they're depending on people talking about it to get the attention. But the first trailer when I saw it in the theater got my attention, and then the second and third trailers dove more into okay, this is what the movie's truly about, what they're going to explore, but at least they already had my attention. I was aware of the film, as moviegoers, right, we're supposed to be aware, but for I think the general audience, the first trailer did its job by not giving everything away. People that have read the book, they're going to be familiar and get excited about it. People that haven't, I don't think all, neither of us, none of us read the book, right? Nope, I don't read. Okay. (laughs) He does pictures. Path the Bunny was the last uh, book that you read, yes. But I think the simple trailer campaign behind the film engine that could actually. did it justice. Did it very, very good justice because we're still not spoiling anything because it is true crime, right? right? So you want to draw the, the, the attention in of the viewer. When we didn't get that music at all from that trailer, whereas a lot of times now they're finding a way that the music's from the movie, da-da-da-da-da. They didn't do any of that. So whoever did that, I want to give them many, many thanks. Uh, not spoiling a film, but drawing my attention in. The second thing, we knew Brendan Fraser was going to be in it from a quick flash yep. in a trailer. Did not know that John Lithgow was going to be in it. And hearing his right. voice. That was awesome. And obviously the camera work towards behind his head, then it flips to him. Not just me, but the person sitting next, a couple people sitting next to in the screening of it, all let out the. <gasps> I pumped my fist. It was like, oh, it's John Lithgow. So yeah. the amount of talent they're able to pull in is to the point that you never know, there could be a best supporting. I'm not saying it deserves it. But we've right. seen supporting noms come into play for even less screen time, I think. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Yes. So I'm just saying that because of the A-listness of this movie, it's going to get a lot of attention. I would not be shocked if something happened with either Brendan Fraser or John Lithgow, because Brendan Fraser had probably an even bigger role. I would even I would add uh, Jesse Plemons. Jesse to Plemons that, as well. As you know, from the Bureau of Investigation. Uh, not a huge portion of the film. But, uh, you know, these people, you know, are, I mean, people we respect and love. And every time they give us a performance, it's worth watching. I mean, I would go Jack White, but that's just my personal. (laughs) 
let's give our final takes, which leads to our scores of Killers of the Flower Moon. And let's start with Gover. Okay. My, <laughs> the, the performances were all great, but I have to say that unlike a typical Scorsese movie or even an A-list director movie, I was really worried up front. Not because of what I said earlier about the, the disclaimer and all that, but because the opening scene of the dialogue with the, or not, no, not the dialogue, I'm so sorry. The opening scene with the crying Native Americans over a dead body or whatever, the crying seemed so amateur. And it was like, uh oh, because they got actual Native Americans, right, to do this. They, they worked with the tribe and they, re- they really, right? So there's not, a, I'm sure, not a whole lot of acting chops in the tribe. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. now that may be baggage. I may have carried that in with me. But I remember the when the, the sobbing in the background, I remember thinking, oh no, because I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, it sounded like a half bit actor doing it, and it was right up front. And I was like, oh, I want to talk about the end though, and that's my main takeaway here. Okay, before this I get is my score because we didn't get to it earlier. This is where they they switch to a an old time radio production, radio program yeah. of a telling of this story. Yes, the uh, OG crime podcast. I guess mm-hmm. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, exactly. So three hours and ten minutes into this epic, or maybe even three fifteen. All of a sudden, there's this stage, this this radio performance on a radio program on a stage, and Jack White is voicing some stuff, and they've got some sound yeah. effects going on over here, and then there's a narrator, and blah 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 blah. It was fascinating, but why? What is the? I didn't. It it was completely lost on me why they would do that if they didn't start the movie. Not on a stage. I get that's a little blatant for Scorsese, especially. Like that's what I would do. That's what Jeremy Gover would do. Right. Little Martin bookend. Scorsese's not doing that. Yeah. But if they could they at least would have started the movie with those voices telling the little Ooh. bit of the thing, and then you go, oh, okay, this is it's been a story this whole time. Like then you can kind of but I couldn't it was almost like and this is this this is the exact I I love that you're gonna tee off on this because this is why I'm bringing it up. It I sat in the theater, it came up, and then I realized that was the end of the movie. Okay. Yeah. And it was almost like the, the filmmakers were like, look, we're at three and a half hours, dude. we got to wrap this up. Let's do it. Uh, we can't tell the rest of the story, so let's just do it all, summarize it all on a radio show. He's shaking his head. And that's great, but that's that's what I thought in there. Let me get my score real quick because it does matter. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Because of all of that, the, the just absolute A-list directing, A-list performances, the emergence of Lily Gladstone, everything just so compelling it didn't feel like three and a half hours like you mentioned earlier it felt Mm -hmm. it did fill out three which is long but it wasn't an exercise in stamina right there have been other movies that are 210 that feel like holy crap is this over i gotta pee yeah like let's go and this didn't it's never felt like that which is which is a compliment to the to the to the filming all that being said i give it a 7.5 i think it is i think there were really great performances obviously the directing was top notch the music was great so why 7.5 go over? Well, because why? it was not rewatchable and it was not entertaining to me. It was great okay. for what it was. God, here we go. But it, I will not, I don't have any qualms about taking my wife to see it. I don't have any qualms about buying it and watching it again. I don't have any, I, I don't care. I've seen it once. I appreciate it. It's deep. I love it. It's over. Forever. See, I would have been okay with a 7.5 if it didn't go on that stupid bull. Well, sorry. That was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty bad reason. To a, give it a seven point five, a really, it's because it's unpleasant. Like, it who, is. Who's gonna go? What did you like, give Oppenheimer? And you gonna give it? Go see it again? 
Uh, I believe I give it a nine flat. You're going to buy it and see it watch multiple yes, times? I will. You, you're going to spend three hours watching Oppenheimer? Yes, because my wife hasn't seen it and she needs to see okay, it. Okay, what about Schindler's List? Is it something that's no like, fun movie? You enjoy it? No, Castaway's the same. Castaway's my go to, by the way, example of this. Which like, I saw if it once. If you just would have cut I'm off, good. I, been I don't okay. need to see it again. I would have been okay mm. with the seven and a half. You just would have cut off. I know. You just would have stopped. Know. If you just would have stopped. Okay. Why don't you just go ahead and give your take then. <laughs> First of all, explain the end to me. I'm I, about. I, to, I'm not trying to explain I'm the end. I'm going to say how in. I interpreted it and I would why I thought it was important. Because okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. When I left the theater, I went home, told my wife, I was like, I don't know why they ended it that way. And she goes, she goes. I know you guys don't. No, she goes. I know you guys don't talk about stuff before the show. I'm like, no, we don't. She goes. Don't go first, because if, because if you go first and there's an obvious reason that you've missed, you're gonna look like a complete. So what do I do? Away. I obviously go make you go first, right? So I was really worried. Okay, I was no, like, no. Oh, I right. totally am okay with someone not getting that because I think it's left for interpretation, and okay. obviously Scorsese is about interpretation. Sure. Right? So Bradford, like, let's start off your you know final take and yeah. score with uh, why did you like. The end yes. of the movie going to the so there, radio There are multiple reasons and why I like how they didn't start off with it because I don't want it to be full circle. This is not something that needs to have a full circle moment because it is a, tr- a true crime drama that is based on real events that are angry and despicable and evil and everything. I don't need the, oh, I don't need that moment Mm-hmm. This type of film. So when it hits to that, it actually makes the whole story sink in to be more real because we did not get that history lesson through live radio True. as a society back then. So years after it happened, they're portraying this what in the, the late 40s? I'm guessing. Something like I that. So. Oh, something like that. When live radio was, was really still happening with Foley artists, all that kind of stuff, live sound effects, all this. They're giving us something in this that truly didn't happen. This story was untold and unknown and the radio broadcast didn't happen. You have a fully white audience taking in the story and soaking it in. They didn't know that. That was not real. Didn't happen. That did not happen like that. And to to, to give the full rundown of everything I thought was incredible. And then the moment when Martin Scorsese takes the mic. Yeah. That made it more real to me in that this is how important this story was to tell when the director himself decides to take the screen and not just as a role. Right. He takes the screen as the storyteller. Yeah. And that was impactful to me and the audience. And we're talking, it was a screening only audience, no guests in this. So it was an audience of maybe 10 people gasped. You hear a gasp of a, and we, we looked at each other and, you know, in the peripheral vision, yes. noticing that everybody else is having the same reaction of, he doesn't do this. Right. No. Well, this is not like M. Night so, Shyamalan who just like sneaks himself into right, every right, film. Right. So for me, it was about impact and that made it more impactful for me. But I can respect how it may not for you totally. But for me, it felt like it had a greater impact to the storytelling, how important it was. Because can you imagine if, in history, that radio broadcast was a true thing, the story would not have been forgotten for so long, for generations. Mm-hmm. And that we would have learned about it, along with the Tulsa Massacre, along with so many other things. We would have learned about these historical events happening, yeah. where you didn't need a movie in 2023 to explain the horrors of what happened to the Native Americans in Oklahoma when they discovered oil. So for me, it was greatly impactful. That actually wrapped it for me very well. Not with a bow tie, but like put that little piece of tape on there is like okay the story is complete now they've told their story they've said the importance of it scorsese himself took the screen to just demand how important it is for us to know about it okay and i think that sealed it in seeing okay. him on screen sealed it in for sure me. so do i get my score now yes and keep going yeah 
Yeah. I'm satisfied so, with your answer. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. You did have to answer for yourself. <laughs> so Robbie Robertson did the music for it. He has done plenty of Irishman, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, done plenty. I did enjoy the music, but what I enjoyed most of the music was the balance of sound with the music. The music did not take over a scene. Right. It was nice in, in the background to help you feel emotions throughout it, to help you feel what's going on in the scene, but it did not control or take over. I appreciate that in terms of the sound editing, which we've talked about plenty sure. on, the, on the show as well, too. Well, the sound editing and the quality of that, too, to make sure that the dialogue was still the main part. Because we've talked about movies as well, where you can't hear what the person's saying on the screen. You can't uh, understand yes. it. So the mixing, the sound mixing, I thought was very incredible. For, for this film as well, too. And that's just, a nut, again, to the filmmakers of paying attention to detail like that. Because the story is so serious, you can't have the music take over. But the music was still a very important part of it as well because they're incorporating so many aspects of Native American culture as well as some mm-hmm. modern techniques, jazz techniques, and everything into the music to make you feel the setting of what we're experiencing as well, too. So enjoyed that. Again, we've talked about the acting performances. Lily Gladstone breakout, just like Gover said, is the Easily. breakout film for her to where obviously so many more roles are going to come from this because she showed her range and depth of emotions that she can portray on the screen as well as chemistry that she can have with other actors as well, too. She's got right. She's the number one for me for best actress. Number one. Number one. Got to be for for this year. I mean, and Jim, we talked about it after the film briefly because we didn't really talk about much, but it's like, we haven't necessarily had a lot of good films this year, yes. but the good ones have been good. And that's what's important. Right. Uh, and this one, with the acting performances, the the cameos that we saw from Brendan Fraser and John Lithgow and Jesse Plemons. And Jack White. Jack White, <laughs> Jason Isbell, who actually had a decent supporting role in this yeah. as well, too. Yeah. They cast this so extremely well. And for me, and maybe this is the <laughs> critic coming out, I give it a nine. Mm. Okay. All right. Okay, so you gave Oppenheimer a nine as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you give an edge? Like, which one are you... In terms of overall filmmaking, I think this one has an edge because of plot. Because of the wow. real the realness behind the, it. The that significance I felt too. of okay. the historical... Significance and overall acting performances. Oppenheimer, 100% incredible film, too. But then I also throw Barbie in terms of incredible performances on a completely different spectrum oh, of sure. film. Right. As well. But historical, I like this one more because of the true crime aspect as well. And it's also telling more about a historical moment that we didn't originally know about. We've learned about Oppenheim. We've learned about the Manhattan Project. We've learned a lot about that. And I appreciate the storytelling that we got from Oppenheimer. But this one is impactful for society, I think, even more because it's telling an untold story that majority of Americans and the world probably haven't heard. All right. Very good. All right. This is Jim. And uh, since we've all had a take on the uh, radio play ending of the movie, uh, I will say that I probably would not have made that choice. Uh, I I realize it it serves a couple of purposes. Uh, It tells you, if you didn't know, what you just saw was true. Okay. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's 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 reinforcing that this is this is history. It's not a made up story, uh, and I think you know the words "true crime" keep coming up from all of us and from others that have seen this movie because uh, there's something about it that reminds us of current day true crime stories because they are complicated. Uh, they, are, they are intimate 
like we have Ernest and Molly's relationship and we have betrayal. And, and there's just so much of this that uh, I think that people who love, well, let's get into podcasts. True crime podcasts are popular because true crime stories have always been popular, no matter how they've been told. I guess a true crime podcast with an NPR host would have really sucked at the end of this movie. <laughs> so I don't know what I would have put in its place, but it did feel uh, like a, a little bit of a sore thumb sticking out at the end. Interesting, um, But I, I appreciate the, the daring of it. I, I liked it more because it wasn't just ending with text flashing on the screen and coming to like, sure. okay, we got to wrap it up. We're going to like tell the story here's in a paragraph, how, yeah, which, is, which is a great point because that's how I would have done it. I'm not one to tell what Martin Scorsese should, how he should direct. I'm just saying that's how I would have done it. But usually when I see something that I wouldn't have done, usually it's like, oh, that's way awesome. Like it's just so much right. cooler than I ever could have found. And this did not. And for you guys, were like, well, flat. that was a choice. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly what it was. I don't fault him for doing it. Sure, I just, sure. as an audience member, was like, well, well we why? are so used to and trained for like, okay, true story. Okay, well, we got to wrap it up, and we can't do it theatrically. We got to just dumb money, for instance. Right. Okay, flash a picture, and then here's the true person, and Give then here's the, what happened and where yeah. they're at now. Title cards of uh, yeah, yeah, what happened. Maybe after maybe this. we're just so used to it that it is so different to be a little outside the box. Right, but again, if I'm if I see something outside the box, Christopher Nolan's great at this. Giving me outside right. the box, okay? Even in Tenant, mm-hmm. which I didn't really care for per se. I did like the movie. I mean, not many people do. But no, but I'm saying, but, but even even <laughs> sure. in that, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Sure, sure. That's a that's yeah. a that's an entertaining or interesting way to do that. This did this had the not the opposite, but this had kind of a vanilla reaction. I was kind of like, oh, am I what what am I missing? Maybe it's my theater background coming out. I mean, well, Jim's got theater background. Yeah, yeah know, and but. and uh, like radio, uh, you know, I have done some radio drama in in very tiny little places, um, and I don't know. I can't say I really disliked that no, end sure. of the movie. I just uh, it it stuck out as just sure. kind of hmm, that's kind of weird. So I'm not basing a whole lot on that. Right. And well, yeah, your score, we need to get easily. To <laughs> uh, what I loved about this movie was obviously the acting from all these people that, uh, oh gosh, how can we take these people for granted? But they, they allow us to do that by giving us great performances. Lily Gladstone, uh, so fresh and wonderful a performance. There were several scenes in this movie that I feel like will could be used Later on, uh, you know, we, we, we have great movie scenes like, uh, you know, You Can't Handle the Truth from A Few Good Men. There, were, I, there was like two or three scenes that I thought, wow, this is a dialogue between maybe two characters, and these clips are going to be shown and referenced, uh, you know, in the future, uh, whether it be the travel meeting or just something between Ernest and Molly. Uh, so I, I thought, oh, man, if you get one of those scenes in a movie, you're doing well. This was, I think, probably uh, in his great pantheon of movies, I'm going to put this at least in the top five mm. and maybe at third. Um, so I really was blown away by this movie, and I'm giving it a nine as well. On this particular episode, we wanted to kind of stay in line with the director. We've praised him plenty during this episode. So what actor would you like to see work with Martin Scorsese? 
that he Ooh. hasn't necessarily worked with before, right? So you can't pick Leonardo DiCaprio because <laughs> he's kind of done that. So, so, yeah. so just kind of, you know, like what, what actor, and that doesn't mean like male, by the way, that means just I'm a big fan of using the word actor for everybody. So but what actor of any ilk would you like to see work with Martin Scorsese? And I don't necessarily mean also in like a Jack White type. I don't can bring him in again. Right. Jack White type role where he's kind of in the background. He maybe has a couple lines. I'm talking about like they, they get a featured. supporting or a fe- yeah a featured actor yeah okay well, let's okay. go with Bradford first okay so <laughs> any Marvel actor just for the funsies <laughs> well that's that's funny because one of my backup choices was Elizabeth Olsen so Ooh, all okay. right so to go along with that though I'm going with Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. It's a phenomenal because choice. Because she's... Oh, they're, they're inc- natural inc- together. Exactly. Incredible actress. She has great range. Yep. In film, she's done very dramatic, but she's also done comedy. She has deadpan. She has so many different qualities as an actress, and especially, I think, with Oppenheimer, showing yeah. just her range even more. Oh, I think she one. would be an incredible choice for Martin Scorsese to work with. Oh, I knew man, I'd I'm kill jealous. Why didn't one. I think of that? I knew man. I had it. In the bag, baby. Mine's, mine is now going to be a joke. So let's go to Jim for seconds. <laughs> All right. Uh, mine's going to be a slightly lesser known actress. And uh, I think like... Uh, as long as it's not mine. To do, close. To do... Yeah. <laughs> uh, for for uh, Scorsese to, uh, to to take this person and, and bring them to the next level that I think they deserve. Uh, and that is actress Jesse Buckley. Okay. Okay. Uh, she is one of those actors that I think if you're not a critic or really into independent films, you may not know who she is. You might recognize her face. Uh, she has uh, had really powerful roles in th- things like uh, Women Talking, uh, the movie I'm Thinking of Ending Things with Jesse Plemons. Uh, she also uh, she did a terrifying movie called Men that came out last year. I don't recommend if you're squeamish. <laughs> um, and she did The Lost Daughter with Olivia Coleman. So she's done a lot of these, you know, really prestige piece movies or A24 type stuff. And I would love to see uh, what I think is, you know, big Hollywood that Martin Scorsese, what he would do with her and where she could go. So, Jesse Buckley is my choice. Well, Jim, that's another fantastic choice. Gover. <laughs> I have a feeling you don't really care that much about my choice, but you just really want to pile on Gover. No, 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 no. no. That's an incredible choice. It both, actually. Okay. We're, it's two for two right, All right now. Right. It works will at- we go three for three? No, we will not. <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic. No. <laughs> In my eyes, it would be amazing, and I'm actually going to tell you why. But... In the general public, when you're Buckley and Pew, not so much. Okay? <laughs> right. So <laughs> I'm going to pick Vince Vaughn because he's known for his comedy. Old school swingers, right? You know, all, right. The, all the crazy, you know, yeah. wedding crashes, of course. right? So he's got, obviously, the humor down. But if you've seen him in Return to Paradise or even, the, even Gus Van Zandt's Psycho reboot, he's tremendous. Mm-hmm. The films might have been not well-received. But he is ridiculously great in that Ooh. other side, especially when you're trying to go the opposite way, like Jim Carrey did, right? Yeah. With the movie poster behind you, Jim, with Eternal Sunshine Spotless Mind. He's, he was known for all these comedies, Ace Ventura, ridiculous comedies. Ace Ventura, Liar Liar was about as plain comedy as it got, and it was really good. Right. And then he was like, no, 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 I got to do Truman Show. I got to do Eternal Sunshine. I got to do different things. 
this Return to Paradise in particular, and he had a couple of ones, Domestic Disturbance, I think he was in that, and there's a couple other things, but he went, he's like, okay, I'm known for comedy. I got to switch over and show the other side so I can get a better range, and he's so good. I mean, so good. It's His performance is worth seeing Return to Paradise alone. It's that good. So okay. I'd love to see him. Okay. Flex and he has the he has the look. I you know I I don't know like if you just if 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 I said uh, Martin Scorsese actor and like a certain look or archetype comes to mind. I didn't know it, but Vince Vaughn fits that. He he has a look that I think yeah would look good in in Scorsese. I I appreciate you appeasing me. Two and a half out of three. listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast where we urge you watch the movie then come listen and uh, you know you can connect with us tell us who you would put in a Scorsese film who would you like to get the the master treatment just let us know through all of our media all of our social media Instagram TikTok Facebook wherever you can find us please do that and make sure you're subscribing on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast UntitledFilmProjectPod.com I'm going back to the cruise I'll see you guys later Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett.